0: Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of The Rockless Shadow by John Blaine, Volume 3. All Uvula Audio books are in the public domain. Chapter 5. Trouble on Spindrift Island Lights flashed on all over the house, and there were shouts as people rushed across the orchard to where the boys stood. Rick, where are you? Hartson Brandt called. Here, Dad, in front of the radiation room door. The scientist hurried to their side, followed by other pajama clad figures. The shields are down, Rick told them, pointing to the bat. Scotty was the first to break the spell the glowing bat held over the group. I'll take a look inside, he said, and started for the door. Rick and Hartson Brant grabbed him together. You wouldn't last ten seconds in there, Rick said urgently. Did you see that bat? "'Get the anti-radiation suits,' and brandt directed. John Stringfellow hurried toward the storeroom while the others went to the main door of the laboratory. "'What's it all about?' Scotty asked, bewildered. "'Gamma rays,' Rick said. "'The electron gun is in there, bombarding that radioactive pile of stuff I told you about. The combined rays are deadly. The lead shields that protect the operators must have fallen.' "'But how could they fall?' "'I don't know.' Rick answered, but if the bat hadn't flown in and warned us, well, we wouldn't have gone under so fast as him, but we'd have died in a few days. They stood aside as Hartson Brant and John Stringfellow hurried to the radiation room door. They were dressed in strange suits of gray metal cloth and wore helmets of the same material on their heads. Their faces were nearly invisible behind thick leaded glass. Completely covered by the odd outfits, they looked like men from another planet. Lead cloth, Rick explained, to protect them from the rays while they put the shields back up. The two curiously dressed men vanished into the inner room, and the others waited in silence. They were back in a few moments, stripping off the radiation suits. No one spoke a word as they waited for and Brandt to break the silence. The scientist's eyes went from face to face as his helmet came off and he stepped out of the cumbersome suit. Finally, he spoke. Who was in the lab tonight? There was no answer. If the shields were dropped by accident, don't be afraid to speak up. Rick took a deep breath and said, I don't think it was an accident, Dad. He felt all eyes on him. Scotty and I saw a light in the lab. And when we came out to see what it was, this door was open, and a man ran through the orchard. And if that bat hadn't warned you, Hartson Brandt said grimly, you might have gone right into the radiation room. The boys nodded. Then whoever dropped those shields would have been guilty of murder. Oh no! John Stringfellow gasped. What would you call it? Hartson Brandt asked. It was plain he was making an effort at calmness. Stringfellow shuddered. Who would plan such a horrible thing? And why? Hobart Zircon's gruff voice added. No one had an answer. Well, someone did drop the shields, Rick said at last. We saw him leaving the lab. That's just it, Zircon boomed. Did you actually see a man? Scotty did, Rick looked at his friend. Yes, sir. "'Scotty said definitely. "'I caught just a glimpse of him, then he vanished.' "'Julius Weiss spoke up tartly. First you saw him, then you didn't. "'The light was poor, was it not? "'Perhaps you really saw nothing.' "'Scotty saw him,' Rick said flatly. "'And I heard him slam the door.' "'Well, I was in my room.' "'Zircon stopped quickly, aware that every eye was on him. "'No one has accused you,' Hartson Brandt said. "'But as long as you say you can account for yourself, how about the rest of us?' "'Well, I was also in my room,' Julius Weiss said hurriedly, "'and I thought I heard Hobart moving around next door.' "'The two men looked at each other and nodded. "'I was reading in my quarters,' Stringfellow said. "'And I was in my room asleep,' said Hartz and "'The only ones up here at the time were these two, Hobart Zircon declared. "'pointing a finger at Rick and Scotty. "'And we don't know this new boy very well,' Julius Weiss cut in. "'Scotty reddened at the insinuation. "'I tell you, I saw a man,' he insisted defensively. "'Rick was with me every minute, too.' "'Just a moment,' Hartson Brandt interrupted. "'There's no need to throw accusations at each other. "'I see no reason for believing the Prowler was one of us. "'Someone could very well have reached the island from the mainland.' If there was such a person, Vyse said stubbornly. That is quite enough, Mr. Brandt said coldly. Prowler or not, I'm going to put a guard in the laboratory tonight. We can do some investigating tomorrow. Hobart, will you please stand watch on this side? Scotty will watch on the other. Zircon nodded agreement. The rest of us will return to the house, Hartson Brandt added. "'Scotty, before you begin, please come with me.' He led the way toward the house, all but Zircon following. One by one, they turned off to their own rooms until only Rick and Scotty were left with the scientist. In his bedroom, he opened a bureau drawer and drew forth a black object. Rick's eyes widened as his father said, "'Take this, Scotty. I think you know how to use it.' Scotty took the service pistol, a forty five automatic. He nodded silently. "'Dad?' Rick pleaded. "'What do you really think?' Hartson Brandt looked suddenly old and tired. "'All these strange accidents, and now this. "'I'm afraid someone is trying to interfere with our experiment.' "'Rick started to speak, but his father held up his hand. "'We'll talk in the morning. Go to bed now.' "'The boys left the room, and Hartson Brandt closed the door behind them. "'When I left the Marines, I thought I'd never have to stand watch again.' Scotty remarked. "'But here goes.' "'He tucked the pistol into his belt and went down the hall. "'Rick looked after his vanishing figure and shook his head. "'In the last few weeks, a shadow had drifted over Spindrift Island. "'Chapter Six. "'The Loosened Clasp. "'Rick awoke with a rapid buzzing in his ears. "'For a moment he lay still, trying to fathom the noise.' Then he realized someone was ringing the switchboard for an outside line. He swept off the covers and dressed rapidly. Through the open door, he heard his father's voice. Barbie, where are you? Connect me with an outside line, please. Rick went into the hall as his sister hurried downstairs to the switchboard. His father was phoning from his own room. Come in, Rick, he said when his son appeared at the door. Then, operator, state police headquarters, please. Rick tensed. Like all boys his age, he had a wholesome respect for the police. It was an uncomfortable feeling to know that their help was needed on Spindrift Island. Lieutenant Slocum, this is Hartson Brandt. Yes, on Spindrift Island. Rick listened as his father outlined the events of the night before. Is he coming? He asked when his father hung up. Yes, he'll be here in an hour. You're going to tell him everything, aren't you, Dad? About the man we saw and all? Hartson Brandt chose a necktie and put it on. I'm afraid I won't be here, son. I have an appointment in New York with the Stone Ridge people. It can't be canceled. I'm putting John Stringfellow in charge. Rick felt disappointment at the news, but he realized the trip was important if it was about the grant. I'll go see if Scotty wants breakfast. Hartson Brandt was finishing breakfast when Rick returned with a famished Scotty. As the boys sat down, he rose and took his small traveling bag. I'll be back as soon as I can. Meanwhile, keep your eyes open, both of you, but stay out of trouble. Then he left the house and went out toward the boat landing. Barbie joined them at the breakfast table. Her eyes on Scotty were solicitous. Aren't you tired after staying up all night? Not at all, Scotty assured her. Just hungry. I'm used to standing watches. Good, said Rick. Then maybe you'd like to take a little excursion. Soon as I finish this, Scotty added, reaching for one of Mrs. Brant's fluffy biscuits. Barbie spread her biscuit liberally with butter, glancing at Rick to see if he was watching. Shouldn't do that, he said, grinning. You'll never get to Hollywood eating a pound of butter at every meal. Fine, you eat it. It won't keep you from playing detective, she said defiantly. Anyway who wants to go to Hollywood? You do, Rick teased. Not anymore, Barbie said comfortably. I've decided to be a girl marine. The look she gave Scotty was one of pure hero worship. Rick tried to look bland. What do you mean, that detective stuff? On the telephone, I listened when Dad was telephoning. Rick shook his head. Shameless, he said. Imagine, Scotty, my little sister turns out to be an eavesdropper. I'm not so little, she said quickly. I guess I'm old enough to go on that excursion with you. Rick looked at Scotty. He seemed amused at the conversation. He wouldn't mind if Barbie went along. Fine, I guess you're old enough, he agreed. Come on. The three rose from the table and went outdoors, where Dismal greeted them happily and tumbled along, scatterfooted footed in their lead. They headed toward Pirate's Field. Barbie threw a stick for Dismal to retrieve, but the shaggy pup couldn't locate it in the grass. She ran off to help him. Scotty stepped quickly to Rick's side. There's a funny look on your face, he said. What's on your mind? It was a hard thought to put into words. Maybe I'm wrong, Rick said hesitantly. I really hope I am, but I'm beginning to believe that if anyone is trying to wreck the experiment... He has a helper here on the island. Scotty's eyes opened wide. That's plenty serious. Have you said anything to your dad? My gosh, no. Dad has known these men for years. He'd think I'd gone crazy. But what makes you think so? Rick stopped walking. Well, we've had a lot of trouble that seemed accidental. It would take an inside man to make those things look like accidents. Then last night, the shields were dropped. It would take somebody who knew what he was doing to fool around with that radiation chamber without getting burned. And two of the men tried really hard to convince us we didn't see any Prowler. Zircon? Han Weiss. Well, that's pretty slim evidence. Scotty scratched his head. Worst part of it is, if you're right, we can't do anything about it until the traitor makes his next move. They heard Barbie calling to them and looked up to see her standing before a tall, angular framework covered with canvas. She wants to show you the rocket launcher, Rick said. As they arrived at Barbie's side, Scotty whistled at the height of the great frame. Well, this is certainly no Fourth of July rocket you folks are going to shoot off. It'll be the largest, most powerful rocket ever launched from the Earth, Rick said seriously. Barbie lifted a corner of the canvas and peeked under. Hey, don't, Rick cautioned. Mustn't touch. Barbie dropped the canvas as though it were red hot. Well, I know what it looks like, she said pertly. All right, little sister, tell us how it works then, Rick invited. Well, it's a... I mean, there's a big whatchamacallit, a slide, sort of, for the rocket to sit in. She means a cradle, Rick grinned. Yes, and right down there... She pointed to the base of the tall frame. Is a thingamajig that starts the rocket. She means a detonating chamber, Rick explained. Barbie turned pink. Well, you're so smart, you tell it then. Scotty smiled. Shouldn't be that hard to be a scientist. Well, everybody knows what thingamajigs and whatchamacallits are. Barbie looked embarrassed, but she laughed. Rick came to her rescue. I guess those are as good names as any. The instruments are all specially made for radar control. They didn't have any names until the scientists figured out what to call them. What are these instruments supposed to do? They'll be set to transmit back to spindrift. Dope about temperature and rays and solar radiation, all that stuff. They'll tell us what outer space is like. He held the canvas aside so Scotty could see the steel framework which stretched up under the cover. Dismal poked an inquisitive nose under the canvas, and Rick pulled him back. Scotty shook his head. "'Whoever believed we'd be hitting the moon with rockets someday?' he marveled. "'Well, that someday is only a few days away now,' Rick said. And he added softly, "'I hope.' "'You hope?' Barbie asked. "'Like Daddy has it definitely scheduled. Why are you acting so funny?' Rick smiled quickly. "'Don't be so inquisitive,' he said. Suddenly the smile vanished. "'Say, look!' he pointed toward the lab." A blue serge figure was talking to John Stringfellow before the laboratory door. Must be your police, Scotty stopped. Must be the man they were expecting, he finished. A policeman, Barbie said. I listened in when Daddy called. Rick nodded. We'll see you later, Barbie. The two boys hurried off toward the lab. When they arrived, John Stringfellow and the detective were just entering the room that housed the electron gun. So this is what caused all the trouble last night, they heard the detective say. He was a hard muscled man with glinting grey eyes. Yes, this is the electron gun, Stringfellow was saying. He looked up as the boys walked in. Oh, and this is Hasan Brandt's son, Rick, and his friend Scotty. You're the two boys who came out and found this thing in a mess, eh? The detective said. That's right, Rick answered. And just as we came out, John Stringfellow interrupted him. A bat had flown into the path of the deadly rays and was completely irradiated. But we can't understand how the shields could have fallen. What shields? The detective asked, glancing at the strange mechanism. Stringfellow pointed to two wide lead panels that housed the electron gun. These. They protect the workers from the rays. The detective squatted down to look at the panels. His eyes traveled the length of them, and suddenly stopped at the bar-type clasp that held the door-like shields tight against the face of the opening. What's this? he inquired. The two boys bent low to look. The clasp! It's broken! Rick exclaimed in amazement. Yes, the detective said straightening up. That happened when the shields were dropped last night. I was just going to say, Stringfellow cut in, I seem to remember, this is very embarrassing, but I seem to remember the clasp being loose. At that moment, footsteps were heard behind them. Hobart Zircon walked into the room. Oh, Hobart, Stringfellow said. Didn't you mention something to me about this clasp being loose last night? The huge scientist bent to look. Yes, there was something said about it. I thought you told me about it. No, the lean scientist insisted, turning toward the detective. Zirkan told me it was loose. I intended to see about it, but I was busy and forgot. Then these lead shields could have fallen down because the clasp was loose, right? The detective asked. Yes, I'm afraid they could have, Stringfellow answered. The detective heaved, a disgusted sigh, and rose. Seems pretty apparent to me that this is just what happened. The loose clasp caused all your trouble. But what about the man we saw? Rick asked suddenly. Man? What man? The detective questioned. These boys claim to have seen a man running away from here last night. Zircon interrupted. But we came to the conclusion that in their excitement they imagined they saw someone. Oh great, the detective fumed. I'm cold all the way out here because a piece of equipment has a loose clasp and a couple of kids are seeing things. He snorted disdainfully. Scientists. And then he walked out. Rick and Scotty walked to the door through which the irate detective had vanished. Well, that was short and sweet, Scotty said. Guess it was an accident. Are you kidding? Rick asked sharply. Scotty grinned. Why, the detective couldn't be wrong, could he? Not only could he be wrong, he was. And you know why? Scotty nodded his head. I'm not dumb. Zircon claims that the clasp on the shields was on the blink last night. He told Stringfellow about it, but Stringfellow didn't see it. Zircon could have knocked it off last night so it would look like an accident when it was found this morning, Scotty continued, or he could have smashed the clasp while we were at breakfast. That's exactly the way it looks to me. I think Hobart Zircon may be the man we've got to watch. Chapter 7 The Sign on the Barn What are you going to do about Zircon? Scotty asked. There's not much we can do except keep an eye on him and wait for his next move, Rick answered. I wish Dad was here. Scotty was deep in thought. Suddenly he said, Rick, there's a question that hasn't been answered. Why would anybody want to wreck this experiment? Well, I think it has something to do with the Stone Ridge Grant. Remember, it's worth two million dollars. Well, there's reason enough right there, Scotty declared. But the trader couldn't work this thing alone, Rick mused. I wonder, do you suppose those men in the sedan could be mixed up in this? Could be, Scotty said thoughtfully, but we couldn't prove it. If the man we saw last night was the trader, Rick went on, he wouldn't have left the island, right? No, he probably circled and got back to the house while all the excitement was going on, Scotty agreed. And don't forget it rained last night, Rick said excitedly. Why wouldn't there be tracks? Scotty snapped his fingers. By golly, you're right. Let's go look. The boys hurried to the laboratory door. The gravel path in front of the entrance was trodden by many feet and useless for tracking purposes. But just beyond the path, at the edge of the orchard, Rick stopped. Here, look, Scotty. There in the still damp ground was a muddy footprint. And big, too, Rick added significantly, looking toward Zircon's huge bulk through the lab window. Here's another, Scotty called from a few feet beyond. Rick hurried to his side and inch by inch they covered the orchard. A few times they thought the trail had been lost, but each time one of them would find a heel print or the impression of a toe in the soft earth. The trail led them deep into the woods of the island and then out on a winding path. This leads to the Tidal Flats, Rick said. And look! There, plainly engraved in the soft earth of the path, were clear footprints. They followed the trail at a slow trot. Suddenly... Rick stopped dead. The path changed from dirt to solid rock. At that point, the trail forked, and another branched off to the left. Where does this one go? Scotty asked. It circles around back to the house and lab, Rick answered. And this one? Scotty indicated the path that continued straight out across the rocks. To the tidal flats, Rick told him. And he could have gone either way because both paths are rocky. Oh, great, Scotty said disgustedly. Where's that leave us? Well, if it was the trader we saw last night, he'd have taken the left path back to the house. If it was somebody from the mainland, he'd have gone straight to the tidal flats. Let's go have a look there. Scotty had not yet seen the back end of Spindrift Island. As they walked out into a rocky clearing that fell away into a short but sheer drop to the rock-strewn tidal flats below, he gasped. What a view! You can see half of New Jersey from here. Scotty looked out across the rock-studded water to the endless stretch of alternate woods and patched farmland that lay in every direction in the clear July sunlight. Directly across from the bluff were deep woods. We didn't come here for the view, remember? This is the only spot where a prowler could get on and off the island. I wonder if he did. Scotty stared at the rocky ledge. It would be impossible to tell now. When the tide is low, it would be easy to cross, Rick commented. Right now it's almost high, but still possible. And last night when we saw the man, the tide was high. Well, what do we do now? Rick shook his head slowly. We're stopped right here. I guess all we can accomplish now is to look at the view. Scotty shaded his eye and scanned the mainland. Look. You can even read the sign on top of that barn over there. That must be a mile away. You can read it, not me, Rick answered with a grin. You're the boy with the junk eyes. That's got to be easily two miles away. I can read it all right. It says, Drink White Cream. Rick jeered at him. I thought you were the boy with the x-ray eyes. That sign says, Smoke White Cream. I know because we flew over it yesterday. Scotty squinted again. Nope, says drink, not smoke. I'm positive, Rick. Rick looked thoughtfully at his pal, then turned and stared in the direction of the barn, shading his eyes with his hands. My gosh. You're right, Scotty, he exclaimed as he turned around. Now what do you suppose that means? Means? Scotty looked puzzled. Look, you're getting so jumpy, you think everything is connected with this business on the island. Yeah, I guess you're right, Rick agreed. Probably my memory, but I could have sworn. He took another look at the sign of the barn and shook his head. Okay, let's go. They turned and headed back toward the path to the house. Suddenly, Scotty stopped and grabbed Rick's arm. Down! he whispered hoarsely. The two boys dropped flat and Rick looked at Scotty. What's up? he whispered. Scotty pointed. Watch the edge of the cliff at the tidal flats. Rick stared at the ledge toward which Scotty was pointing. For a moment, the dazzling sunlight blinded him. But suddenly, his heart skipped. Reaching over the edge of the cliff was a hand. Chapter 8. A Traitor on the Island? The two boys hugged the rocks as the hand clutched for a firmer hold on the edge of the cliff. Slowly the hand was joined by an arm, then a shoulder, and finally a head. A battered felt hat pulled low over the face covered the head. The boys saw the stranger look quickly about, obviously worried about detection. It'd take one kick to knock him back down, Scotty whispered. Rick took his arm. No, let him get up here first. The man hauled himself up and stood erect near the edge of the cliff. Then he started running straight toward the path. The boys were hidden by low bushes, and the intruder didn't see them. The man bent low, glancing back over his shoulder as he ran. Suddenly, he jerked his head up, and fear leapt into his eyes. Scotty flew through the air directly at him. Over on his back, the stranger went, swinging wildly. Scotty's fist flashed back, and in a tenth of a second it took to start it toward the intruder's jaw, Rick yelled, No, Scotty! Scotty's fist held in midair. Rick leapt to his side and grabbed his arm. No, he commanded. I know him! The prostrate figure rolled over with a weak grin. Hey, Rick. He said. Jerry Webster, Rick said sternly. What are you doing here? I was looking for a story for the morning record, but your friend interrupted me. The young reporter got to his feet and brushed the dirt from his flashy sports coat. Then he tenderly dusted his battered felt hat. You might have been hurt, you idiot, Rick said. What's the big idea? My paper assigned me to cover the rocket, Jerry answered. It's the first real assignment I've had, so I thought I'd sneak over and get a little dope for an advanced story. He rubbed his jaw. I had no idea you were so jealous of your little secrets. The best thing you could do is turn right around and go back to the mainland, Rick told him. We're having troubles enough. Troubles? An eager look like a hounds on the scent came into the reporter's face. What kind of trouble? Remember, in my business, bad news makes good news. "'You'll get the whole story from Dad when the time comes,' Rick promised. "'But don't try to get any information this way again.' "'All right,' Jerry said. "'I can take a hint.' He grinned and turned swiftly. In a moment, he had vanished back over the cliff face. Rick and Scotty looked at each other. "'If he could come across those flats so easily, why couldn't somebody else?' Scotty demanded. "'They could,' Rick agreed. Jerry didn't allow himself much margin, though. The tide goes out very early in the morning. It's almost high tide now. I think we'd better keep an eye on this part of the island. He took another look at the distant barn. More stuff to confuse a fellow, he said soberly. They went back along the path and in a few minutes reached the clearing near the laboratory. Rick saw his mother talking to John Stringfellow. She waved to him and he hurried to her side. Your father called from New York, she said. He won't be able to get back for two or three days. Rick's heart sank. Oh, don't be disappointed, Stringfellow smiled. We can take care of things that long. Certainly nothing more should happen in that short a time. Is the work going on then? Rick asked. We're not doing much until your father returns. We'll need him for the final assembly and instrument calibration. The rest of us know very little about that. I guess there's nothing to do but wait, Rick concluded. He yawned suddenly. What do you say we rest a while, Scotty? They went upstairs to Rick's room and Scotty flopped at full length on the bed. Let's hope we have a little peace for a while, Scotty said wearily. I'm dead tired. That's the trouble, Rick said dropping into his chair. We can only hope. The traitor knows we have to wait for his next move. He's probably planning that right now. He turned over the recent events in his mind, searching for some connecting thread, something that would tie them together. There was only one thing that seemed to show a pattern. He spoke his thoughts aloud. I don't think anybody is trying to wreck the experiment entirely. They could have done that with a fire or an explosion. I think they're just trying to delay us. Scotty came out of his doze. That makes sense, he agreed. What's more, Rick went on, they tried to make us think all the accidents were plain bad luck. That's why it was usually something that could be blamed on defective equipment. That relay might have been tampered with and would have been easy to cause an overload that would burn things out. But why would they want to slow us down? I just don't get it. But it's me, Scotty said. Both boys jumped as a rapping sounded at the door. In a second, Rick was on his feet opening it. Julius Weiss stood there, blinking at him. The little scientist looked up and down the hall, as though to make sure nobody was watching, then stepped into the room and closed the door. I must see you, he said. Weiss looked frightened. What is it, sir? Rick asked. The scientist took a deep breath and looked from one boy to the other. Boys, I'm beginning to agree with you. About what? Rick asked about there being something peculiar going on. Now I find myself the victim. Instantly the boys were alert. The scientist sat down at Rick's invitation, but he perched at the edge of his chair and rubbed his hands nervously. I became suspicious last night, he went on. It seemed to me that someone had been in my room, although nothing was disturbed. So I decided to set a trap. I put a piece of scotch tape across the crack between the drawer and the leg of my desk. I had papers there. I knew that if the drawer were pulled open, the tape would be torn. It was only a small piece. When I looked this morning, the tape was unstuck. I think that someone was looking at the rocket fuel formula. For an instant, Rick was hopeful that it might be a tangible clue. Then he shook his head. I'm afraid it doesn't mean anything, sir. It rained last night and scotch tape loses its sticky qualities in wet weather. The tape probably just came unstuck by itself. Julius Weiss slumped in his chair. I did not thought. You're right, of course. Then I have no proof that my desk was disturbed. I'm afraid not, sir. I was so sure. But I must have been wrong, of course. These things must be accidents after all. He nodded to the boys and left the room. Rick looked at Scotty. Funny, wouldn't you think that a wizard like Professor Weiss could think of something smarter than a piece of tape? Maybe. What are you getting at? Scotty said. I don't think he put the tape on his desk at all, Rick declared. I think it was just something he dreamed up to throw suspicion off himself. Scotty groaned. Oh, I suppose you're right. That makes it a bigger mess than ever. Who's your traitor, then? Weiss? You haven't anything but suspicions about him. No, Rick. It just doesn't stand up. The traitor can still be any scientist on the island.